Hi, I'm James, and this is James Explores the New Mutants, an issue-by-issue exploration of Marvel's comic book series, The New Mutants. Welcome to episode 51, entitled No Empathy for Empath, in which I'll be exploring issue number 43. Please stay tuned. So, creative team, we've got, obviously, returning Chris Claremont. Uh, new new uh, art team, though. We have Steve Parcell. And Steve Parcell, he's a cartoonist, animator, he's a game designer. He's worked, uh, you know, for Marvel, obviously. Uh, he's also the co-creator of an independent comic, Sam and Max. Uh, some of you may know them, a bunny and a dog in a suit. Uh, it's kind of like, I think, a detective story. Don't really know much about it, never read it. But he's the creator of that. Um, he worked for a moment uh, with Lucas Games. Uh, Lucas Arts on video games that they were creating during that era. Um, he has currently, last I could find on him, is working for Pixar. He's worked on Cars and Brave, and he's worked on video game spinoffs for that company. So that's that's a little bit about Steve Parcell. Um, and then we've got Will uh, Willis Partasio, and he is. A, I mean, this is one of his uh, early works he's inking on this book um and he's a big name big name he's going to be uh one of the influential artists in the 90s uh he's uh done work for marvel from punisher x-factor uncanny x-men he's worked on iron man um he got his start with Marvel in 1984. It was at a comic uh, convention. Uh, he showed, his, you know, they saw, Marvel saw his portfolio. They hired him up. Uh, they put him to work initially inking on Alien Legion. That was a miniseries. And then the very next year, that was in 1984. The very next year, in 1985, he inked over Art Adams' uh, work on Longshot, that miniseries. Um, He's credited as the co-creator of Bishop. Um, he created with that Bishop with Jim Lee and John uh, Bryan. Um, he is one of the initial co-founders, seven co-founders of Image Comics, um, but he never got. He didn't get a partnership because uh, he, he stepped away. His sister had gotten ill. Um, he would return to Image though, and he'd work. Uh, with Jim Lee and Wildstore Comics, where he would publish his uh, his own title, Wetworks. Um, in 2000, he fell into a diabetic coma as a result of, of his failing pancreas. He woke up a week later, 30 pounds lighter, unable to walk, his stand, uh, or, or do any art. Um, it was six months until he was able to return to art. In 2008, he did he, he did art on a run for Uncanny X-Men, so He's a huge man. He, I mean, in terms of his contribution in the '90s, especially to comics, um, a big, big name <laughs> in 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 the comics industry. So, Willis Petrazio, he is doing the ink for this book. Uh, uh, Orzechewski and Buhola, uh, his wife, are doing lettering. Um, Glynis Oliver is doing colors, and we have our same editor team, Shooter, uh, Nascenti, are both uh, editing on the book. So that's our creative team for this issue. Um, Let's dive right in. So getting even, this issue, it it opens uh, with four panels, and in it we see an airplane. It's flying uh, 
returning to New York. And in that airplane, it's, it's Roberto and his mother. And what we come to find out is that he's been in the Amazon with his mom since uh, leaving um, the New Mutants. So what Claremont's kind of doing here is he's treating Roberto's uh, absence really as a prolonged vacation. And we're not seeing any reference to Roberto's uh, irritation with Magneto or his crisis of conscience, uh, confidence uh, related to the Beyonder here. It's really this, just this prolonged vacation with his mom. And uh, that's, that's where we pick up. And things seem to be good. Roberto looks good, and his mom appears in good spirits. And they're greeted in the air, in the plane. Uh, Sam knocks on the window, and he, he greets them. And... Uh, a number of other new mutants appear as well. We have Danny. She's riding the winged horse. Um, Doug, Lock, uh, Doug and Warlock. Uh, Doug is uh, basically encased in an armor suit of Warlock and uh, flies up and, and also greets them in the plane. Ileana teleports up to the plane. And <clears throat> in almost every one of these panels... Uh, we see a reaction from Roberto's mother. She's surprised. Now, when Sam first knocks on the window, she's startled. Like, you know, somebody knocked on the window of the airplane, you'd be probably startled too, even if you knew Roberto's friends were mutants. Like, you you still, I'm not sure that you would be surprised, you know, that, that you would assume uh, that it was some, you know, there's no reason for him to be up there. Like, I don't know that that would be the first assumption. You know, and then she sees Danny on the uh, on, on her horse, on uh, Brightwind, her horse, her winged horse, and uh, she's never met Doug or Warlock, and she's never met Ileana. Um, it is somewhat written, like she doesn't realize... Um, it's oddly written. You know, I, I do like the introduction as far as if, if this is the first New Mutants comic you're picking up, you're getting a great introduction to these characters. You're seeing their abilities, right? We see Sam flying. We see Danny uh, is a Valkyrie. She's on this winged horse. We see Warlock encasing Doug in the suit. Um, and we're seeing Ileana teleport onto the plane. So we're getting an introduction to these characters that otherwise we wouldn't. Uh, so in this regard, this works fantastic. Um, but one of the drawbacks to this is it, it doesn't seem to take into account, at least, um, that Roberto's mom had met the New Mutants. Uh, they had gone to the Amazon jungle with her. Uh, Sam was there, Danny was there, Wolfbane, Roberto, they met a, uh, Mara, Aquila, you know, um, and, and she knew of their power, she knew of their abilities, she learned that stuff then, so, um, some of the shock, um, 
at realizing that there's mutants at the school seems kind of out of place, but it is kind of a neat way for us to engage with these characters and learn about them, especially, like I said, if we're the first time picking this book up. So as I said, these these characters all greet them, and uh, Ileana wants to teleport Roberto to the school, and you know, he he goes with her. They teleport through limbo. Um, and Claremont here takes another, you know, takes a moment. You know, there are three panels, uh, dedic- four panels really dedicated to the act of her teleporting him through limbo to, to the grounds of uh, the mansion. And he talks about how uh, limbo is the will, you know, controlled by ruled and controlled by Ileana's will basically she is supreme ruler there and it it bends to her will um and it talks about how or Claremont takes the time to talk here too about how none of the teammates Roberto's teammates really like going to limbo and it talks about how Roberto fears Ileana but he doesn't want anyone to know that he's too proud. Um, it's it's an uh, it's not odd. Once again, we're being introduced to Ileana. Uh, there has been a lot of development, and so this of her character. And if if you had just been picking this book up for the first time, you might not you might not realize that 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 who she was and why you know some of that background. So it's not terrible um, that he's doing that. It's just interesting. Uh, she has definitely become a major character in this book since her her addition to the team. She's become one of the lead characters in this book. Um, and you can kind of see that by the amount of time he takes and dedicates to her. Um, <clears throat> it's also something interesting. Uh, you know, the idea of Ileana and... The ability to bend everything in this realm to her will, right? She's exerting, she controls it. She is the ruler of it. And it strikes me that a teenager, there's just this little idea of control and um, willpower and exerting one's willpower on people, places, and things around them and how... Some people, and maybe everyone at times, uh, really tries to do this, right? We, we, people sometimes push and want things that when they want them and how they want them. And they force and push and try to manipulate, control, and bend things to their will. And typically that doesn't work out very well. And to think like a teenager, I remember being a teenager and, oh man, if I only had this, if I only had that, I would be happy, Right? And I kind of look at Ileana's character through that lens. You know, a teenager, uh, she's relatable in that way, right? Where her life is a disaster on Earth, is really in shambles. Uh, Her parents are in Russia. Her brother's off with the X-Men. Sometimes she doesn't know where. There's often, there's going to be times in this book when she thinks he's dead. Um, her family's non-existence. She feels outcast, like she's separate. She's not part of. She's had some trauma in her past, right? She is a, a character who has suffered 
in large amounts, in large extents. She really doesn't know who she is because she's been aged up uh, and never really had a childhood. And um, she's been, you know, traumatized and she just doesn't know her place. She doesn't really know who she is. And in limbo, that doesn't matter because she she snaps her fingers and, and things conform to her will. So it's an interesting, interesting thing. And, and we do see that, you know, when she refers to limbo, it's her home away from home. It's the place where she goes to spend time. Um, so she doesn't necessarily fit. And plant times when she has tried to put herself out there, her friends, her teammates, people that she's supposed to be close to have consistently failed her. Um, and these failings aren't massive, but they are just slights. And Ileana's been vulnerable quite often in her life. And for her to, to put herself out there being vulnerable to people and then it not be met with the proper amount of maybe empathy or understanding or acceptance or willingness to uh, pick it up and like be vulnerable in return it doesn't help lower her walls. Uh, it's, I don't know. It's interesting. She's a great character because of that. She, she creates problems. Um, and it's, it, I shouldn't say problems. She creates interesting dynamics between team members and, 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 and really can create great opportunities for character development. Um, and I don't want to spend a ton of time on her, but I just, it, it just strikes me that this idea of, her will and being able to bend um, this 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 realm of limbo to her will is just it's so great. Anyways, like I said, Roberto's greeted by Shane and Amara and Shane Coin Man um, and Amara Aquila and Amara like he was in the Amazon. He was uh, at Nova Roma. That's where Amara's from, and he brings you know his her father's love. He's got a gift and letters for her. He gives those to her, you know, and everybody's kind of just happy. You know, Doug, he's never been to to, to Nova Roma, but he's heard about it. He knows where where Aquila's uh, Amara's been fr- and where she's from, and and he wants to know as much as he can be told about it. And you know, things are just great. You know, things are going well. You know, and and Sam's teasing him a little bit, and and Roberto's teasing him back, and. You know, it's just just this great warm welcome. Uh, just just really, you know, the like Sam says, it's the return of the prodigal, uh, prodigal uh, the prodigal pal rejoining the team. Sorry, to go back and find that line. Um, so you know, everybody's just really glad he's home. Nobody knows if he's going to stay, and, you know, he's got presents for everybody. You know, that's what he says, and uh, he's, you know, he's going to stay here. He's, he's, he's returned. He has returned. And so as they're going around and, you know, seeing the mansion and seeing uh, staff members, they bump into Stevie Hunter. You know, she's chiding him because he's out of shape. Right, she's a dance instructor. She's about physical fitness, and they're all out of shape. They haven't been training with her and going uh, to dance classes and and maintaining their physical fitness at the peak that she wants them to. And that's because there's been a lot going on, 
right? If we think back that this team has really just returned back to the to the mansion, to the to the Xavier School for the Gifted, they'd been in Westchester, they'd been with uh, Emma Frost, and before that, they basically basically become mindless automatons uh, after they were res- resurrected from the Beyonder, and so we're still dealing with the fallout of the, the Beyonder here. Um, that has sent shockwaves that has that have disrupted story arcs. But Chris Claremont here, he's handling it so adeptly, so brilliantly, right? He took that chaos that the Beyonder threw into his story, and he has woven just this beautiful story from those ridiculous plot threads. And he's creating something, and he's his his this issue, this 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 series is just rolling with the punches right it's just absolutely stunning to see how beautiful the story arcs come out of that right because now we've got what happened uh with emma trying to take over the team how that manipulation occurred and now we've got the fallout of empaths and that's all being played into these beautiful arcs which are helping us to better understand this team and giving us some really quality stories and you know, even to this detail of their physical fitness has been affected because they aren't haven't been working out and training the way they had been prior to the Beyonder, right? And it's obvious that, you know, it's probably been a couple months. It was winter when all that went down, and now it's summer, spring, you know, spring is summer for sure, you know, so it's been a good chunk of time. You know, it's it's possible that it's been, you know, three, four, five months. Uh, and so Stevie, she, she wants them to get in shape and, you know, they're all, you know, hum bum about it. They're not really very excited about that. They don't, you know, which is something I like, you know, it's just, this is something that developed early on this, this, this dislike of physical fitness, that going to that class, to doing these dance routines, to to staying in this peak fitness, um, and it's it's interesting because what we're seeing here is a group of teenagers. They're being told that hey, you got to be physically fit, and if you're physically fit, if you're at the peak performance, you'll be able to master your powers. It'll make it easy, and that's something that is expected of them even if they choose to not be superheroes, right? And so here's some kids that are just trying to be kids that don't really care all the time about, you know, they know they have these great powers and they do have this romantic image of being heroes at times. But there's also plenty of times where they're like, I have no desire to be a superhero. I don't want to do that. I'm not going to be an X-Men. You know, number, there's a couple of them. Roberto's one of whom who said he had no desire to do that. And so for this expectation to always be there, even though they're not potentially ever going to be superheroes, it's an interesting dynamic that's developing. And we can see now why they might not like always having to perform these dance routines and always having to maintain this physical fitness that Stevie and Xavier and the school says is so important. Anyways, Roberto's got a gift, and he wants to give it to Stevie Hunter, and he tells her, you know, I've got some gifts for Sharon and Tom. Where are they? And she's like, well, they're, they're not really doing great. You know, they've had some stuff happen uh, when <clears throat> the White Queen took over the school and, you know, had took over the New Mutants, teaching the New Mutants. 
<clears throat> and he's shocked because he's been gone. He didn't know that happened. And they're like, well, it's a long story. We'll tell you later. <clears throat> and so the, the New Mutants really didn't know that either. They didn't realize that something was wrong with Tom and Sharon, which is kind of weird. But, um, you know, they were dealing with their own stuff, the trauma of being resurrected by the Beyonder and uh, this, the fallout from having, having been uh, students at the Westchester, or sorry, Emma's uh, Academy. Um, and so they're going to go check on Tom and Sharon. And sure enough, you know, uh, they're not doing good. They look just extremely old, and they look like they're afraid of their own shadows. Right, and while they're checking on them, Roberto's getting this rundown of why, you know, why Magneto, their teacher, had allowed Emma to to take the new mutants, to teach them. And they said, you know, they were really in bad shape. They say they were sick and that she was really the only one that could help them. And she did help them. And so now that, you know, he knows kind of he's being brought up to speed, which is also good because it's brought up any new readers to the book up to speed, right? This rundown, this, this, this momentary introduction of the characters and to the plot up to this point, really. Um, recent plot. We've caught the readers up to speed, but it's also brought Roberto up to speed, right? And they go back to Sharon, or to to uh, Stevie Hunter, who's been swimming in the pool. And <clears throat> they want to know, you know, what's Magneto about doing about this? Is anyone doing anything about this? Who, you know, and who did this to Tom and Sharon? And she says, well, it was Empath. And, you know, Roberto, he wants vengeance. And she's like, you know what, that's not important. Magneto's been focused on helping Tom and Sharon. That's the most important thing. Vengeance is secondary to that. And Roberto's like, well, you know, he, he's demanding action. And she's like, you want Magneto to punch him in the face? <clears throat> and he's like, and Roberto responds, that's precisely what I want. And if he won't, and that's where that scene ends. So the team, they meet up that night you know, in the attic, and Roberto makes his case for their getting revenge on getting even, seeking vengeance against Empath, and, you know, nobody's really sold on this, you know, Shane, she thinks it's wrong, and she tells him so, and so Roberto, he tells him, he argues that, you know, the Numeans, they look after their own, and he tells Shane, it's just like when they rescued her from the Shadow King. And he asks pretty openly, he, he asks openingly, or has another, has that, is that another, sorry, is that another thing that has changed while I was away? You know, he's chiding them. He's kind of bullying them, honestly, you know, to get his point across. And, you know, he argues that they're heroes, you know, and, and that's something that's interesting. I brought this up earlier. You know, Roberto goes back and forth on this. Initially, he thought they were heroes. He wanted to be a hero. <clears throat> but there's other times where he's argued pretty pretty ardently that he has no desire to be a hero. He doesn't want to be an X-Men. That's not why he's here. You know, and here he is arguing again that, you know, he thought they were heroes. Uh, and 
you know, nobody's really sold by any of this. And they just, they, they're not sure still. And he, you know, he doesn't really care that whether Magneto's got a plan or not. You know, to Roberto, empaths attacked and crippled two of their teachers. And they need to make him pay. If he's not, you know, Roberto argues if, if, if empath isn't taught a lesson, somebody, you know, he'll do it again. And if we don't, you know, if he doesn't stand up for themselves and those they care about, no one else would. And Ileana sold, you know, she, she thinks, you know, giving empath a taste of his own medicine, it would, you know, it'd serve him right. And the rest aren't so certain they look to Sam and Danny to, you know, to tell them, you know, the, the two teams co-leader leadership to, to really guide this decision for them. And Sam openly tells them, hey, I've got my doubts, but, you know, he, I hate bullies. And so does Danny. And so they reluctantly agree. And... Roberto, he is, explodes with joy. You know, he's like, all right, he's yelling. He's just so excited that they're going to go do this. And Sam wisely warns, don't cheer too loudly, Bobby. Capers like this, they have a way of backfiring. So later that day, uh, we find Manuel de la Rocha. He's walking through the quad of the Massachusetts Academy, and he sees these kids, these faculties, children, running around and they're playing a game they're playing x factor and you know this is a nice homage a nice call out a nice credit to this new new title that's been created x factor right and you know it's just a tip of the hat to it and it's it's cool it's a neat way to you know to connect this universe these characters aren't running around in each other's books but they are tipping the hat to them they're they're just making the universe seem bigger than it is, right? It's it's a neat little, it's a neat play here. Anyways, these two, three kids are chasing this one girl who's playing the mutant. The, the kids that are chasing her are obviously X-Factor. And they capture her and knock her down. And she's like, well, I could fry your brains. And they're like, no, you can't. She says, can too. And they say, you know, mutants, they can't hurt X-Factor. Everybody knows that. X-Factor's humanity's heroes. And... Empath's had enough. He's furious. And he manipulates the three kids who are playing X-Factor's brain, you know, emotions. He he makes them believe that this girl is, represents complete and total fear. And so they, they run from her. They want nothing to ever do with her again. When they see her, they'll be reminded of that moment. They'll never want to be around her ever again. And... He decides, you know, this is punishment for their mocking of the homo superior, right? Well, the new mutants are watching, and they're disgusted. Ileana can't wait to get, you know, to punish him for this. You know, she she's excited, and they all teleport away. Later that night, Empath goes to bed, and he has what Claremont in the narration kind of talks about as though it's a nightmare, but it seems as though Empath's super, you know, really into it and really enjoying this nightmare that he's having. So somewhat sadistic, he awakens and he finds himself that he's in limbo and before him sits Ileana on this like stone throne 
and he's you know shocked and terrified and she you know has tentacles bind him and hold him to his bed and sims there he's at the head of the bed and he's poking empath's forehead and Ileana's threatening to feed him uh empath to, to to sim but you know um really you know you know the two of them are just terrorizing him uh bullying him in a similar ma- manner that he was to those kids um and in some of you know you could argue that it serves him right you know it does serve him right he's he's a garbage character in a lot of, you know claremont has not given him any redeeming qualities he, this guy is a real scumbag um at this point he's he's all bad really no good uh so this is somewhat cathartic right he's getting payback for what he's done He's meddled and been horrible and, you know, manipulated Xavier, or, sorry, Magneto, and he's done horrible things to uh, Sharon Corsi, uh, Tom Corsi and Sharon Freelander. So, you know, for us, this is a great moment of catharsis as he's being tormented by Elena. Well, she summons her soul sword. She tells him he's gonna, she's going to cut him in half, and whatever's left of him, you know, she'll feed to, um, to Sim. And he's begging for mercy he, you know this can't really happening and and he's slight she's he's he's struck by her sword right it doesn't harm him because it's her soul sword it can't cut you know it, it only disrupts magic it can't cut through human uh flesh and bone so it does him no damage but at that moment he knows that he's not dreaming he knows this is actually happening so elsewhere thunderbird and the hellions they're looking for empath Tarot sensed something was wrong. She used her cards and figured out that one of the Hellions was in trouble. And they they figured out it was Empath. They went to his room. His bed's missing. He's gone. And Cat's cat's eye, she shifts to her cat uh, hybrid form, or cat form, and she catches the scent of magic uh, of Ileana Rasputin. And they now know it's the the culprits who's come for... uh, empath it was a new mutants and Jetstream, he's tells them you know his opinion is we just should leave empath to his fate um and thunderbird he argues you know that's empath style um that's not the hellions and as long as empath is part of the team they're gonna help they're gonna do everything they can to help him so while they're deciding whether they're gonna help him or not empaths uh, kind of figuring out he's still alive. He hasn't been harmed by the silver sword. He's in this room. He's kind of curled up in a ball, and he's terrified. Um, but he's getting his senses back, and he's trying to figure out a way to escape. Um, and while he's working on escaping, his teammates are attempting to use uh, the Cyberide system to locate Empath. The Cyberide system is Emma's equivalent to um, Cerebro, which is Xavier's uh, mutant locating system. Well, Cerebro requires the uh, telepath to use it um, at this point. Uh, the Cyberide system apparently doesn't require a telepath. Uh, and they upload uh, Empath's profile, and they're, they're just trying to find him. And uh, they they're doing this on their own without the help of empath of of uh, the white queen queen because she's currently not there 
nobody really knows where she's at. And so they're, they're acting on their own. Empath continues to make his way what, through what appears to be a massive mansion. Um, and the team, uh, the new mutants continue to terrorize him as he goes. Um, you know, he's attacked by demons and Danny, like pretty much the entire team confronts him at some point. And finally, as he's picking himself off the ground, he, he thinks he's been stabbed, uh, and killed, you know, and again, finds that that's not the case. He, he gets to his feet and he sees Danny there and, you know, and he attempts to take control of her. He calls her a savage at this point. I mean, he's, again, we've got, you know, a racial slur coming out against Danny. It's one of the more common tropes that, that seems continually being referenced, uh, is this demeaning, um, jab at her heritage. Um, and, and as I said, Empath thinks he's taken control of, uh, Danny and he's bent her to his will. Uh, he, you know, tells her she's going to love him. Um, and she, you know, basically, uh, bends forward and, and looks as though she's worshiping at his feet. And all of a sudden she distorts this image of her distorts and her fingers grow long and they begin to encircle and entangle him. And, you know, it's terrifying for him. And what we find out is that Danny's using his heart's desire, uh, to, that, you know, his greatest heart's desire was that he would, uh, have control of her and make her his slave, you know, and, and she comments real original, the slimy creep. And what she's done basically is twisted this, this dream of his, this, this, his heart's desire into this darkest nightmare. Um, and in the moment, he's not able to see all of the the new mutants who are standing around him. Uh, he is thrown back. He hits a spike wall, and he's confronted now by uh, Warlock. And Warlock tells him, in origin, perhaps, uh, self-suspect self may be far more human than empathetic. Empath, empath entity. If self infects empath entity with transmog virus, empath will be instantly, irrevocably transformed. Um, and so he's talking about taking his soul, because he's not as human. Like warlock considers himself more human than even empathy or empath. <laughs> Sorry, empath, empathy empath gosh darn it um you know and and it's interesting because warlock you know he's this gentle soul but he is actually very imposing here uh this is the least empathetic interestingly enough empath emp uh warlock's ever been in my opinion um and he releases uh empath empath who falls to his you know falls away and he's begging for forgiveness and he's telling uh doug who who's falls towards that he's sorry and uh you know cypher says you say those magic words pal and you figure all will be forgiven huh it ain't that easy and doug's ready to punch him and and decos and and de la rocha empath manual 
is begging for forgiveness. He's begging for mercy. You know, and and Doug realizes, you know, that he's acting like a classic bully, right? He can he can sure you know punish and torment people, but when it's when it's dished back to him, when it's given back to him, he sure can't handle it. And in this moment, Doug realizes he can't continue to do this. He doesn't want to do it. And he says this is wrong, and he drops him to the ground, lets him go, and the empath falls to the ground. And obviously Bobby's not happy um, with this. Um, And Doug says, whatever we were looking for, guys... Whatever we wanted out of tonight's caper, this isn't it. And Bobby assumes that, you know, empath has control of him. And Doug tells him, you know, this isn't what they were trying to do. You know, this is, they're getting down in the gutter with empath. You know, they're, they're acting like the bullies. Empath picked on weaker people and tormented them. And that's what they're doing him doing tampath and and Bobby's like he hurt our friends and you know Doug's like so we hurt him back and Bobby's like says yes you know and and Doug's just not willing to do that and and Roberto calls him a coward and he, and he wants to just pummel him and Danny and Sam hold him back and Roberto says he hasn't learned his lesson. And Danny asks him, you know, what, are we going to kill him? And that's when the Hellions show up. And Thunderbird says, I surely hope not. Um, and Roberto tells him, you know, back off, basically. We beat you before and we can do it again. And Danny steps in and he tells tells him to chill out. Um or he's going to have to answer to her. And Danny and, and uh, Thunderbird shake hands. And tells she tells Thunderbird there's no quarrel with them at, or with Empath anymore. And um, everything's cool. Like the two teams intermingle and uh, nobody's ready to throw go to blows anymore. And Thunderbird explains, you know, that whether they like it or not, empaths a hellion, and they take care of their own, just like the new mutants take care of their own. And Doug tells Thunderbird, you know, he doesn't, the empath doesn't deserve them. And Thunderbird's opinion of this is, you know, it's just that's the way life is. We don't get to choose uh, that. That's just the way it is. Um, he's he's part of our team, and what we hope is they'll get better as part of the team. But if he's on his own, there's no way Empath will improve. And so he's like, you know, it's time for you guys to head out. You know, we'll take care of this. Um, And Ileana teleports the team away. And once they're gone, of course, Emmanuel, or Manuel... De La Rocha is shooting his mouth off, saying, you know, if they ever lay their hands on him again, the new mutants will regret it. And 
Thunderbird tells him he's thick as a brick. And tells him, you know, I told him I'd keep you in line. And he just smashes him with a with a left hook, just crushing his face, leaving him bleeding, you know, just on his hands and knees, blood pouring from his face, uh, dripping from his mouth, apparently, I would guess. And, you know, one thing we do know about Thunderbird is, Thunderbird is he's a man of his word and his responsibilities. And he takes those things very seriously. And he tells Thunder, uh, Empath, who he leaves on his hand and knees, like I said, bleeding from his face, surprise us, Empath. Learn from your experience. Because if you don't, you'll have to deal with me. This is such a great, really, honestly, a great issue. Um, it ties up all these loose ends, right, from the Beyonder story arc and... Uh, uh, the White Queen, you know, it ties up this little loose thread with Empath. You know, we get some interaction with the Hellions, which is always a good time. It builds some more character for uh, Thunderbird, who's going to become a big player down the road for uh, uh, the new uh, X-Factor in the, in the 90s. And he's a character I really enjoy. And so seeing him here uh, really taking kind of a secondary role and really becoming more, you know, again, we're getting the Hellions not as a villain, not as a team of villains, not as um, evildoers necessarily. Um, they can appear as villains in storylines, as the enemy, uh, but more as a rival school, as friends, as people that the New Mutants respect. Um, and I really do enjoy that. Um, really, really do enjoy that. Uh, so Claremont, he's masterful here as he's just kind of tying up these these loose ends here. Um, you know, just just overall a really, really solid story, I think. You know, very few flaws, if any, in it. Uh, just really, just really enjoyable. And it's, you know... You know, one of the things that uh, one of the reviewers at League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, uh, they review comics. One of the things they, that was commented about this is that this is so refreshing. It's such a nice read in, the t in, you know, in an era when everything focuses on the next big event and we don't get so much downtime where we take care of, take the time to, t to tie up loose ends where these, uh, strands are are just masterfully woven into stories that no longer are just hanging there for years decades right i mean claremont's taken the time and really masterfully put together a story that's that's extremely fun to read um you know there might be a few issues with plot you know you could argue at the beginning of the story when uh, Roberto's mom is surprised by the appearance of the mutants. You know, that's not correct. You know, maybe it's a little odd considering she met most of them uh, in the Amazon. But all in all, it's a really solid story. And it really, I mean, well done considering that, you know, he's written this so that if you were just picking this comic up for the first time, you'd, you'd know pretty much what was going on. Uh, I think the biggest, probably the biggest problem I have with it plot wise is you know we don't have any t 
clock of Roberto's questioning his, you know, his place on the new mutants or his lack of confidence in the face of the Beyonder. No, he apparently had just left to go for a vacation. That is definitely not what was presented to us uh, during the the issue with the Beyonder uh, crossover in the Secret Wars. Um, but other than that, I think it's really well handled, really well done. I like the tip of the hat to X-Factor. I think, again, like I said earlier, it, it makes the universe feel so much bigger. And we just have these really nice moments with the characters. And, you know, I think it's another one of those things where we get to see, you know, Claremont's talking about how dark and scary Ileana can be, and she scares her own teammates. Uh, she terrifies and people she doesn't like. I mean, just she has no like for Da Costa or for Da Costa, uh, De La Rocha, Manuel De La Rocha, empath, right? She has no right, uh, no no respect and no kindness to share towards him. The other thing I kind of find interesting that these two characters are in such conflict. Uh, empath is constantly trying to manipulate and bend people to his will. Uh, Ileana has a dimension where. He, she's able to do that. Um, obviously, he, he dislikes and fears her because he's not able to control and manipulate her like he can the majority of other people. Uh, it's just kind of an interesting juxtaposition uh, or conflict between those two characters uh, and, and considering that both are uh, so closely tied to issues of control. Um, just interesting. Um, but yeah, so... I, I, yeah, just really enjoy this issue. So next issue is going to be, t- is Runaways. Um, we're going to have our artist team of Jackson Geis and Kyle Baker returning. And Wolfsbane will be re- reunited with, uh, with her wildest foe, Legion, a mutant who's a team all by himself. So I should talk briefly, quickly. Uh, Wolf Spain is in with Moira on Muir Island. I was going to mention that earlier, and I kind of forgot. Uh, yeah, she is running around with her stepmom or adopted mother, whatever you want to call Moira. Uh, that's where she's at, um, and <clears throat> that's why she didn't appear in this issue. Uh, but uh, we will be catching up with her, like I said, in the very next issue with the return of Geis. Uh, and Baker on the art team. So uh, it should be an enjoyable issue, and I can't wait to dive into that next week. Uh, so, yeah, thanks. James Explores the New Mutants is, as always, recorded in Des Moines, Iowa, and is produced by myself using the Anchor app. New episodes are published every Wednesday and can be found wherever podcasts are available. You can reach the podcast on Twitter at Explore New Mutant via email at explorethenewmutants at gmail.com. Visual companions to the episodes are available on Facebook and Instagram by searching James Explores the New Mutants. Uh, Another great way for you, the listeners, to reach the podcast is via the Anchor Messenger service. It allows you, the listener, to record minute-long messages that are sent directly to me. I can then place those messages directly into the episodes, and it's just a really great way for you to become involved in the episodes and I highly recommend it. So if you've got questions, comments, anything, please send it my way and I'll do my best to answer or uh, 
respond to those. So thank you again for listening. I really appreciate all the support and all the the well wishes. And uh, I'm just plugging away. We're going to dive into, like I said, issue number 44 next week. And we're going to find out what's been happening with Rain Sinclair. Until then, keep reading those comics.